All right, Grace Hill, we are gonna get moving. So y'all can go ahead and grab a seat. Y'all can grab a seat. Man, love singing those lyrics, oh praise the one who paid my debt. Such a great way to uh, kind of pump yourself up, I think, before you come and you preach the word of God. So thankful for that, thankful for you, Matt. Uh, you guys doing okay? All right. So uh, as you all know, we have been in the book of Jonah and it's been really just a great, I think a great experience. Um, you know, I think the book of Jonah is awesome because in it we see some incredible works of God. We see some miraculous things uh, that the Lord does, as well as some, I think, just awesome principles that we can glean uh, for the Christian life. And so kind of a quick recap, we saw the first week in our series how God uh, exposes the condition of our hearts. Uh, we also learned about how God's will is always infinitely better than our own will. And then last week we learned about how, Alan preached about how faith is always better than sight. And so uh, I, I love that, it's been a great thing. I also love the strong redemption theme uh, that we see in the book of Jonah. So for example, we see the Phoenician sailors in the middle of the storm there coming to faith, which is awesome. Uh, we also see redemption on this massive scale in God saving the Ninevites, which is incredible. And so I think there's just so much in this book that we as Christians can be encouraged in and that we can just draw a lot of joy from. And so that's been awesome. Uh, but on the flip side, I think one of the things that is actually so tragic about the book of Jonah is that despite God's faithfulness of him doing all these miraculous things, of saving people, uh, Jonah just didn't care, right? This is something that we see at the end of the book. Uh, he was apathetic and he was even angry that God would pour out his grace and his kindness on the Ninevites. Jonah failed to see God's goodness and he largely failed to reflect God to the Ninevites, which is sad. Now God still used Jonah and that was just really a testament of how gracious and how kind and how faithful that he is. Uh, but church, what I want us to focus in on today, sort of in light of this series, um, is what it was that was lacking in Jonah's heart that led to his lack of love for the Ninevites and really his inability to see God's goodness and God's faithfulness all around him. And I think this is so relevant for us uh, because as Alan shared the first week, uh, this is us, right? This is our tendency. We find it difficult to love others as Christ calls us to. We find it difficult to be self-sacrificial uh, we're prone to wander, and we often tend to forget the goodness and the faithfulness of God. We, are, we tend to get distracted by things. And so what I actually want us to do today is to deviate from Jonah and to actually look at Luke's gospel today. Luke chapter 7, so you can actually go ahead and turn there. And what I want us to do is to look at an interaction that Jesus has with a man named Simon, who is a Pharisee, and then a woman who Luke refers to as a sinful woman. And I think that as we dive into the depths of this story here in Luke, uh, it'll help illuminate what it was that was missing in Jonah's heart. And my prayer is that as we look at this story and we dig into it, uh, we can learn from Jonah and the Lord willing event, avoid ending up with some of the same attitudes and um, just the same attitude that, and, and the same lack of love that Jonah had towards uh, the Ninevites so that we can be good stewards and love well the people that God has placed in our life. So that's where we're headed. 
And uh, let me pray for us, and then we can dig in. So, Father, we thank you for Jonah. Um, Lord, we thank you for this incredible story of how you, again, through so many miraculous means, Lord, you saved the Ninevites, you saved the sailors. Um, that's incredible. But, Father, what I want us to press in on today is to see, uh, is to avoid ending up with an attitude like Jonah, just apathetic not having empathy for the people that are in our lives, that surround us. So Father, would you speak to us now? Would you show us from Luke's gospel, from this interaction that you, Jesus, had with these people 2,000 years ago? Would you speak to us now and show us uh, just what we need to see, I think? So Holy Spirit, come and minister, and we love you. We know you're faithful. Amen. So again, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 7, and we're going to pick it up in verse 36. Uh, Let me read this for us. Then one of the Pharisees invited him, Jesus, to eat with him. So he, Jesus, entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. And she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, this is the Pharisee he's speaking to, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. Since they could both not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. And now turning to the woman, so he's looking at the woman, but he's still talking to the Pharisee. Turning to the woman, he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, and that's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Did you catch that Jesus' response to the Pharisee at the end there in verse 47? He says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, and that is why she loved much. This woman knew that she had been forgiven of a lot. And quick little bit of background. Uh, Scholars mostly agree that this woman was a prostitute. It's kind of debated, but that's that's the broad consensus there, so just so you know that. So this woman knew that she had been forgiven, that she had been pardoned of much. And the fruit of that forgiveness in her life or her response in this situation, it was adoration, it was thankfulness, it was love. Love. What we see going on here is a stark contrast between the Pharisee 
and between this woman. We see this incredible disparity in both their attitudes and in their actions. And so what I want us to do first today uh, is actually to move through the story, and I want us to make three observations, three observations about the woman here in the story, and then we'll talk about a little bit about how this applies to us. So we're going to jump right in. Our first observation is this. Number one, we're going to have this on the screen for you. The woman acknowledged her sinfulness in light of Jesus' holiness. The woman acknowledged her sinfulness in light of Jesus' holiness. So how do we know this? Well, in verse 37 and 38, we see her ascribing worth to Jesus by bringing this expensive perfume and by kneeling, by wiping, by kissing his feet. So it's in this way that we see her acknowledging the sanctity of Christ. And this is actually something uh, that we could easily identify with as 21st century Americans. We do this all the time, right? Uh, You can tell what we ascribe worth to by how we spend our money and how we spend our time. Both of these things will inevitably reveal what is most precious uh, to us. So in a similar fashion here, we see this woman purchasing this expensive perfume, which we know it was expensive because the type of perfume that it was. And how she was willing to essentially uh, make a fool of herself in front of everyone. And she does this because she realized the preciousness and the worth of Jesus. The holiness of Christ is made clear to her. And when she reflects on who she is in light of who he is, and she thinks on the, on the things that she's done, she's, she's, she's undone, right? So she had to have been thinking, man... I'm not like him. He is good, he is worthy, he is righteous, and I am not. She clearly knew who she was. That's why she came and found him when she found out where he was. She was probably also thinking, you know, I've seen the way he, he lives. I've seen some of his miracles. I know that he's good, but then I look at myself, my own life, my decisions, the things that I've done, the places that I go, and I'm not like him. That much is clear. So the woman has a sobering but a proper understanding of herself in relation to Jesus. And then now now compare her to Simon the Pharisee. So let's just take a look at him for a second. So Jesus says uh, that Simon, and remember Jesus is a guest in his home, Simon forgot to offer water to wash his feet. Remember, this is a dry, dusty, arid climate. Most people wore sandals or were barefoot. And so Jesus' feet likely would have been uh, filthy, but the Pharisee doesn't offer him any water to wash himself. Jesus also said, you didn't offer me olive oil. So again, in this culture, they would take oil and they would likely, um, they'd often rub it in their hair or on their face to kind of freshen themselves up. It's a bit strange, but it was very common back then. And uh, so after a long journey or a hard day just working, this is what they would do. But he doesn't offer any oil for Jesus. And then finally, uh, Jesus says he doesn't greet him with a kiss. Uh, I can remember in college, I spent some time in France, and basically everywhere you go, uh, you kiss everybody on the cheek. So the left and the right, a little awkward at first. The missionary picked me up at the airport, he kisses me on the cheek with his big scruffy beard. So it's a little weird. But uh, I mean, whether you are greeting a guy or a girl, me as a man, it doesn't matter, you, you greet them with a kiss. And to not have done this would have been just the height of rudeness, right? It would have been basically a slap in their face culturally. Socially unthinkable. And this is exactly what the Pharisee does to Jesus. He is extremely inhospitable. 
So what we see is where the woman goes above and beyond to show Jesus love and hospitality, the Pharisee actually does nothing. In fact, he doesn't even do what would have been normal or customary in this day and age. So it's obvious to us, right, that he didn't perceive who Jesus truly was. He didn't feel the weight or the worthiness of Christ. And because he didn't perceive the worthiness and the holiness of Jesus, he didn't have a realistic understanding of who he was, Simon, in light of Jesus' holiness like the woman did. And then what did this lead to on his part, right? We read through the passage and it led to condescension and arrogance and a lack of love and a lack of hospitality for the guest who was in his home, namely Jesus. It's embarrassing. So that's the first observation. The woman acknowledged her sinfulness in light of Jesus' holiness. But what's good uh, is that her knowledge didn't stop there. It actually segues really nicely into our next observation, and that is this. Number two, the woman knew that she had been forgiven of her sins. She knew that she had been forgiven of her sins. And this is something that that Jesus makes clear to us here in verse 47. So he says that her sins were forgiven and that that is why she'd show Jesus love and affection with the perfume and wiping the feet and all that. So Jesus acknowledges the fact that she was forgiven before he actually says to her, you're forgiven. And this indicates what? It reveals to us that it was her faith that had saved her before she even got there. She had to have heard before this uh, and believed that Jesus was the Messiah or to some degree and that he could save her. And so her going and worshiping him was really just the outflow of the saving faith that she already had in him. It was the fruit of the forgiveness and the kindness that she had experienced. And so just think about this in the context of your own life, right? If you are... If you're in the line at Starbucks and somebody in front of you just randomly decides to pay for your drink, uh, you know, beside you, I mean, that's, that'd be incredible, right? That'd be a kind, generous act, especially if you're having a bad day, that would cheer you right up. And the only way, the only appropriate response to that is to be thankful and to be grateful. And so likely you would then want to even reciprocate uh, that same type of kindness and love. It's just human nature. It's how we operate. It's how we were made. Romans 2, 4 says the kindness of the Lord is intended to bring us to repentance. And so I think we see that same principle at play here. So the woman understood that Jesus could save her, and then she responded in belief and with faith and with trust in him. So her confidence wasn't in herself. It wasn't in her own uh, abilities. It was in him, the one whom she recognized as being holy and worthy. Now again, so contrast this again with Simon uh, the Pharisee. Look at what Simon says in verse 39. He says this, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. So first we see that the Pharisee's statement highlights uh, actually, his gross misunderstanding of what a true prophet was. So his definition of a prophet, right, according to his standard, would have been somebody who had maybe superior knowledge or only associated people with people who were respectable or maybe felt like they were above lesser or sinful people. That's obvious from his response and his attitude. 
But when we actually look at the prophets of the Old Testament, they were the ones who so understood God's holiness. They were the ones who understood their own unworthiness in being chosen by God to carry out whatever task they had been appointed with. And so we see in the Bible, the Old Testament prophets were actually marked by their love for the Lord as well as their love for God's people. It's what drove them to call the nation of Israel to repent and to turn back to the Lord. Uh, You know, Jesus called John the Baptist actually the greatest of the prophets. And this is kind of ironic because John, as we know, was a man who lived alone in the desert and he ate grasshoppers, which is just kind of weird. And he never performed any miracles so far as we know. But his ministry was marked by humility as he was the one chosen to herald the coming of the Messiah and then baptize those who were willing to repent. This is John, the greatest of prophets. And so I think I bring all this up because I think what's so scary here is that the Pharisees' own pride and arrogance literally stifled his ability to properly interpret Scripture and to understand the markings of a true prophet that's in my opinion, clearly laid out in the Old Testament. Second, the Pharisee statement in verse 39, it reveals his own sinful attitude. So one of the things that uh, Jesus implies through his debt example in verses 41 and 42 is that they both had a debt that they couldn't owe because of sin, right? They were separated from God. They couldn't pay it off. And so the Lord offered both of them salvation, whereas the woman accepted the offering through faith and received forgiveness, The Pharisee hadn't recognized who Jesus truly was. Going back to our first observation, he didn't recognize Jesus' holiness, which means that he didn't recognize his need for forgiveness, which then means that instead of having an attitude of thanks and love like the woman, he instead was what? He was condemning. He was judgmental towards the woman, and he couldn't believe that Jesus would show her grace. Sounds a lot like Jonah, doesn't it? And the Ninevites. So unlike Simon the Pharisee, the woman knew good and well that she had been forgiven of her sin. That's her second observation. And then our last observation is quick, uh, but it's important, and it's actually the fruit of the first two. Number three, the woman's knowledge of Jesus' holiness and her forgiveness resulted in thankfulness and love. So her knowledge of Jesus' holiness and her own forgiveness, who she was in light of Christ, resulted in thankfulness and love. So this is the fruit, as we've already mentioned, this is the fruit of the first two observances uh, that we made. So see, the sinful woman, she knew good and well that she uh, was unworthy of forgiveness, that she was unworthy of grace and certainly of Jesus' kindness towards her. She didn't deserve it. But Jesus gives it to her all the same. He lavished his love and his favor on her, and she knew it. And so how do we, church, respond to this type of grace and love? The only response, the only appropriate response is to be thankful and to reflect it to others and to do everything we can not to forget it. One of, my, um, one of my favorite stories uh, in books, movies, it's been made into different, different, media, uh, different media adaptations there, is uh, Victor Hugo's Les Mis. And so it is a story laden with suffering and difficulty, but also redemption 
and unconditional love. It's, a, it's cool because it's a story that has a lot of really neat gospel overtones to it. And so the main character of the story is a man named Jean Valjean. And in the beginning, he's caught stealing a loaf of bread for his starving sister, right? So he's thrown into prison for many years. He's locked up. Well, later in the story, there's a scene where Jean Valjean, now recently released from prison, he's, he's homeless, living on the streets. He's been rejected by society. And so he's angry. He's bitter. He's frustrated at the hand that life has dealt him. And so in this particular scene, it's a cold uh, winter night, and he finds himself sleeping outside of a monastery. And so the bishop, who lives there, comes out. He says, hey, come in, come grab some food, get some rest, warm up. It's cold. And so Jean Valjean does just that. He comes inside, he eats, he rests, and then eventually they all go to sleep. They turn in for the night. But later that night when everyone is sleeping, Jean Valjean, he gets out of bed and he actually steals uh, the fine silver that they had in the monastery. So he steals it, he leaves and he makes off with it. Boom, he's gone. Well, the police uh, eventually catch him and they realize uh, what Jean Valjean has done and who he is. And so they bring him back to the monastery and they toss him on the ground right there in front of the bishop. And the police say to the bishop, Bishop, don't worry, we got your silver. We found this man making off with it, and he even had the nerve to say that you just gave it to him. But here it is. We've returned it. And so the bishop walks over, and he looks at the police, and then he looks at Jean Valjean, and he says to the police, he's right. He's telling the truth. And then the bishop turns to Jean Valjean, and he looks at him, and he says, and this gets me every time, but Jean Valjean, my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot the silver candlesticks as well. Would you leave the best behind? And so the bishop shows Jean Valjean incredible grace in this moment. He forgives him. Jean Valjean certainly didn't deserve it. He was totally guilty. He stole all this stuff. But through this unsolicited act of kindness, in grace, the bishop essentially says to Jean Valjean, hey, you're forgiven, and now take this gift and use it. Use it to bless others. Show the same love and grace that I've shown you tonight. And don't you forget it, Jean Valjean. Never forget it. Grace Hill, nothing will train us better, I believe, in loving others well than knowing who you are in light of God's holiness and then remembering what this holy God has done for you and making a regular habit of that and then living in light of that every day and allowing that to inform the way that you live your life. And so what does this look like uh, in the way of application? As you might expect, it means we have to come into the Lord's presence every day, sitting under his word uh, and allowing the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit to speak and to minister to us, to comfort us, to change us, it's in this way that he reveals our need for him and that he reminds us of the lengths that he went to in order to save us. And I believe only through daily spending time with him, uh, asking him just to show up and to do a work, will he progressively reveal himself to us more and more, his holiness, his power, and I believe it will change us. In the same way that 
uh, spending time with a friend deepens your relationship, so too the only way to achieve depth and intimacy with the Lord is through time spent with him. We have to remember who he is and what he has done for us. So of, of first importance, we should always make a regular habit of reading the word, of spending time praying and talking to God. Uh, but I also thought it'd be cool right now if we actually just did a quick uh, exercise. So this is something I want you guys to either write out maybe on your bulletin, so maybe grab a pen, or you can maybe pull out your phone and create a little note there. And here's what I want us to write down. I'd like for us to write two, uh, two things, two things. And we're going to put these on the screen for you. First thing is this. Write down one thing that you can make a regular habit of doing that reminds you of God's holiness. So for me, one example is actually uh, just hiking, getting out in nature. I think uh, my wife and Levi and I went hiking yesterday. It was great. And I think just being in nature tends to remind me of God's just bigness, his vastness, the fact that he is uh, holy, he is set apart, he is so different from me. He made all this. And so that tends to just humble me and sober me, and so that's something I, I think I like to make a habit of doing. So number one, one thing, regular habit of doing that reminds you of God's holiness. So write that down. And then write down one more thing, number two, that you can make a regular habit of doing that reminds you of what God has done for you in your life. So this can be maybe the day that the Lord saved you. Maybe it's uh, the family or something great the Lord has blessed you with and his kindness towards you. Maybe it's reading a specific Bible passage. Maybe even watching a certain, uh, listening to a certain song or watching a certain movie. But take, just take one minute and uh, right now and write these things down and then we'll keep going. So take one minute and do that quietly to yourself. And then what I would do is actually encourage you to share what you just wrote down with somebody this week. So it can be with your spouse, your family, in the car ride home today. Uh, it can be with a, a, a neighbor or a coworker or a friend or a family member. Um, I think that would just be good to kind of articulate what you wrote down. And really the broader principle here uh, that I'm going after is just we need to be regularly reminding ourselves of who God is and what he has done for us in our lives. And again, we primarily do this through, through reading, time in the word, and prayer, uh, but also I think we can be really strategic and intentional about incorporating things in our lives that help us to think and to remember um, God's grace and then display it to others. So I think that'll be good. Uh, again, church, our ability to love well and to do it effectively and to effectively live on mission will only occur as we regularly remember and reflect on who God is and what he has done for you. And I think, um, honestly, what kind of scared me in reading this story uh, with what we see in Jonah, but also here in Luke 7, is that just how often I tend to have a lack of love and a lack of empathy towards people in my life and in my sphere of influence. It's pretty common, right? And I think this lack of empathy that we sometimes feel towards others betrays a thought pattern that is more in line with Simon the Pharisee than with the sinful 
woman. And so I think that just uh, shows us how important this is, that we're focusing on this. So it's hard. It's hard for us. Uh, R.C. Sproul has a great quote in light of just the fact that it is difficult for us. And I wanted to share this with you. So R.C. Sproul says this. This is why it's important from time to time to remember the day of our salvation, to remember who we are, and to remember that all we have and all that we enjoy is the result of the mercy of God. If we can grasp that point, and listen to this, then our obedience will be motivated not by a sense of duty, as is often the case, but by a gratitude and a love that flows out of a heart that has known forgiveness. And he's speaking in light of this passage. And so now to bring it back uh, full circle, I think that if Jonah had made a habit of maybe regularly remembering and knowing who he was in relation to God, how he had been forgiven and then commissioned to serve these people, the Ninevites, I think he really would have had a, a big love for them and compassion for them. I don't think he would have fled to Tarshish, to Spain, uh, when the Lord told him to go to Nineveh. I don't think he would have had to have dealt with the whole fish incident, perhaps. Uh, I think his sermon to the Ninevites might have been a little more substantial than it was. And I believe also that he might not have gotten so angry that the Lord would save the Ninevites. I believe that Jonah would have had a love in his heart for the people that God had called him to and that he would have had compassion for them. So I love uh, going back to Les Mis. I love how the, the story ends. Uh, the story ends with Jean Valjean on his deathbed with his daughter and his son-in-law, and they're, he's passing away. And they're all sitting there kind of reflecting on his life and uh, just the redemption that he had experienced, the forgiveness and the grace and the love that he had displayed to others because his life had been changed after that point. And all this because of the forgiveness that the bishop had shown him so many years ago. He was shown unconditional undeserved grace. And so at the end of the movie, as he's passing away, Jean Valjean sings these final lyrics. And I think these lyrics speak to what he had personally experienced in his life. And so he sings this. He says, remember the truth that once was spoken. To love another person is to see the face of God. And so church, we must fight to remember often uh, how much we have been forgiven of. And I think we must remember the words of our Savior towards the sinful woman speaking to Simon the Pharisee when he said, her sins have been forgiven, and that is why she loved much. Let me pray for us. So Father, we thank you just for the fact that you have come Lord, even the fact that the God of the universe was in this interaction in just a common house with dirty feet just speaks so much to who you are and your character and your love for us that is so undeserved and unsolicited. And so God, I pray that we would know your love more and more every day. Father, that we would be faithful to spend time uh, in your word, to spend time with you, Lord, that, that we would see that as, God, of, as so much more important than anything else that we could do in our day. And Lord, I pray that in doing so, we would be transformed, that we would know more and more the depths of your grace towards us. 
and that it would transform us and that it, it would enable us, Lord, then uh, to love others well. And so, Father, we thank you for this. Lord, we thank you that we can worship now. I pray that you would continue to minister to us as we sing these songs, as we sing these lyrics. And Father, may you be glorified in all that we say and do. Amen.